with me to um, the scripture reading from Matthew 6. Nineteen through thirty-four, Matthew six nineteen through thirty-four. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body what you will wear is Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a day, add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor has dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the, f- grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Again, good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the senior pastor at Christ Central Church, and um, it's good to be back home. I've been gone every week this month traveling and sometimes preaching other places, and um, it's... I had a good time in New York with my uncle preaching at his uh, 50th year of ministry celebration and um, just learned a lot uh, being there and being in, you know, the churches that he helped start. And it's just amazing. He's like an apostle type. He just starts all kind of he laughs. He doesn't like that because he's real, you know, official about names and all that. And all Baptists don't want to mix any Presbyterian stuff in with his stuff. He don't like all that. But. Um, and we argue and fuss about, you know, whether Presbyterianism or Baptist is right or wrong. And then we end up talking about Jesus and that all goes away. Um, so um, it was really good being with him. And uh, I really do hate planes and, um, and flying and all. I get scared. And then I think about Jesus in heaven and, and put on my iPod and listen to stuff and it helps. But... Um, Anyway, I don't know why I'm telling you that. It doesn't really matter. It was self-centered to bring it up, but I was <clears throat> good to be back home with y'all. Um, as we look at uh, the Christ of Christianity um, and, and this about finances, um, let, let me say this beforehand. We are all in different places. Some of us really do it well. Some of us have don't have a lot of money, and we handle that well. Some of us don't have a lot of money, and we don't handle that well. 
Some of us have a lot of money and we handle it really well. Some of us have a lot of money and we don't handle it well. But all of us, all of us could use some encouragement and growth and sanctification and development, spiritual development when it comes to finances. Um, And so I just want to be clear that I know we're at different places. Um, But I don't know anybody who is not concerned about money, about stuff, about things, because we need things. We need money and finances because we need stuff. We need food. We need clothing. We need shelter. And with that in mind, I know very few people who wouldn't mind having more. If I were to offer you more money, very few of you would say no. You might say, where is it coming from? It's all legal. I'll take it. And if not more money, more know-how to keep what we have while having the ability to do what what we want with it And for many of you to know the right and best way to use the money you do have in the right way to get the money you don't have. I don't know anybody who is not concerned about money, stuff, finances, including for our sakes, good thing, the Lord Jesus Christ. This topic is one is his number one application and illustration as we look throughout the Gospels. He knows something here. Look with me at verse 23. It says here, as I turn to it. Nope, wrong scripture. Verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus knew that talking about money and resources, especially among rich and poor, the extremes and even the middle class in-betweens, it would tug at something deep within us. Jesus knew money mattered and matters. It counted for something literally that we need to take account for how and why we see it and spend it and have it and don't have it. We will learn a lot about ourselves and hopefully look to him for the questions and worries that beat and sing deep within us. And so we continue to look at the Christ of Christianity. We see Jesus who not only presents himself as a financial counselor, but financial savior. One who is not only concerned about our goods and services, but as we've seen, our hearts and souls in it. Because you and I live in constant financial uncertainty. We live with our hearts connected to our finances, and we need to know that God offers financial freedom through Christ. In probably his most popular song, The Gambler, Country music singer Kenny Rogers sings these famous words. You got to look at that. When I looked at that, it's kind of a neat little story. Runs into the gambler on a train and I'll tell you some good things to learn about gambling if you give me a sip of your whiskey. And, you know, it's just kind of a neat song. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, when he sings these famous words and the gambler himself is giving Kenny Rogers enough some advice, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. Know when to walk away and know when to run. Y'all know the rest. Got to count your money. I know all that. Okay. 
But the lesson is you really can't take advice from the gambler. Because when it comes to finances, Jesus is teaching us here that you and I don't know and can't always know when to hold or fold them. We can't always forecast and save and secure and be sure about money. We live in constant financial uncertainty. Look with me again at verse, beginning at verse 19. It says, do not store up treasure for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures Treasure in heaven, treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In antiquity, back then, they they had different ways of hiding and securing money. Much like we do in investments and real estate and all of that stuff and in banks and all that. They used to put it, some people used to put it inside walls, like thick walls in their homes or dig deep into the ground, but air and moss would get into it. And then, of course, the white and blue collar thieves would take your stuff. Back then, they would just break through the walls or or run off with your invested money. Or or for some in this region, they had their hopes uh, pinned on the river rising enough every year to provide fertile soil. And sometimes things would flood too much or not enough. Never perfect. Never predictable. If it, if it rained too much, all the buried treasure would float off. If it rained too little, not enough saturation for crop production. But you get it. For us, it's the same. And we have learned this the hard way recently. There is no amount of financial knowledge or saving plans or amounts or types or houses or gold or 401k or job securities or having enough or not having enough enough that will keep thieves and liars from Wall Street to the alley from taking it. And there is no way you can know what economic disaster or disease or bubble popping or or whether the decision by the school board tonight will make your real estate value go down tomorrow. Or whether the next CEO of B of A will, will mean your job is going away. It is uncertain. And many of us live believing if you just work hard enough and, and save well and, and, and secure well enough and, and be up on the latest and greatest trend or get all you can get now, going into debt because, heck, you know, you're going to enjoy it before you die, Right? But let's not get it twisted about what we can learn here, even in our day, about the recession. And if you look at it through the eyes of this scripture, through the eyes of the gospel, according to what Jesus is saying, the recession is not only that we didn't save enough, or that you didn't have enough, or you were stupid and didn't do your research, or you didn't diversify enough. Those are all meritorious things. But the lesson may simply be that you and I cannot on our human own, outrun the bad news about money and stuff. It will fall and fail us and cannot be counted on or guessed and no theory or economic philosophy can in and of itself save us from economic disasters that take on so many forms. And so... You and I live in the never-ending stress and anxiety and some of us drivenness over money. But Jesus has his eyes on a bigger part of our financial issues, our hearts, our souls. Again, he says this in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And he's teaching us this. 
see and check your money and your spending, and you might see what your real relationship and trust of God is like. See and check your money and your spending, and you may see where and what your heart and soul are really about. Keep following here in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I'm going to continue just kind of teach you this. You know, many in Jesus' day believed that the eyes shot light out onto objects, right? Um, Like an inner flashlight. So if you were morally dark, then your eyes would shoot dark light on things like money or finances. And so the condition of your inside, if you were dark on the inside, then you would see things twisted or wrongly. If there was light on the inside or goodness or right morals, then you would see things rightly. What you focused on was only because your heart was causing you to focus. What you purchased determines what you value in your heart. What goals drive you financially tell you what's going on in here. You know those pictures you stare at? They they used to be more popular. Long enough, and they just look like a mess? Like someone threw up on a page or something? Oh, wrong. Sorry. Just came out. What's my heart saying? Um, But, you know, you just look at it, and then you go cross-eyed. Whoa! Whoa! It's a walrus, you know? (laughs) Whoa, whoa. it's the Wachovia. I mean, Wells Fargo Center, right? Sorry, it wasn't funny. Okay, so, and since if, if we look at our purchases in your financial pursuits or lack thereof, your spending and lack of spending, your debt and your savings, voila, right? There it is. Your heart. What you value and how you see and value yourself and your world and your purchase. What you consume, your, your financial pursuits and desires tell us what you value and what really drives you or troubles you. Do something crazy. Crazy for me. Look at your purchases online and your receipts and don't look at it alone. Get your sickening friend with you. You know the one who's not afraid to say, this is messed up. You bought what? But see what it says about you. You might be surprised who you really are. What a clear picture it paints of you. But Jesus is saying something else here as well. Because they also believe that the light and, and darkness came from the outside to the inside. Like we know to be true today, thanks to modern medicine and based on the outside stuff, we can see or not see. If it's dark outside, you can't see. You don't have no flashlights in your eyeballs. You just don't see it. If it's light outside, you see it and you get it. And so what it's saying is you can get it right or wrong. And it says, there will your heart be. This is a future tense. So if you understand and look at money or not having money in the wrong way, if the wrong light is cast upon it, if you don't take it in rightly, what the scripture says, it will actually shape 
and may damage your view of God and yourself and your money or shape and make it better. And think about commercials. Man, them things change you. And sometimes make you believe a lie. I mean, the light they cast on it, it actually gives you a vision and a value even, you know, that makes you go out and spend or not spend or go into debt or not go in debt to do this job or not want that job. You, you, you know, you, you know, you are no longer in control sometimes. So, you know, I recommend go get one of those God ordained machines like a DVR, like I got. I'm just kidding. But. <laughs> Cut out some commercials. You'd be surprised. How I know it seems simple and corny, but those commercials really do work. They change your heart. I got a lot of stuff because of commercials. A lot of stuff, y'all. I felt like I needed to change jobs because of commercials. Mature pastor, you love Jesus. Yeah, but that commercial says I'll be better than a pastor over folk like you. If I get that and to get that, I got to get that job that pays this. Now again, I'm believing all this in financial uncertainty. Like somehow there's a job out there to get what I It's the craziness, what it does to your heart. And let me go on and say this. Some of us should ask then, what sort of counsel and friends and advice and conscious and subconscious stuff are we getting? Who are you hanging out with? I'm going to warn you. Just a warning. Some of us don't need to shop in that particular mall. I'm talking about some hard decisions to help your heart. You don't need to go to the Louis Vuitton store. You don't need to go in there, right? You don't need to go to the mall with them cars in the middle. You know you can't afford it. I mean, this is a biblical thought here. I I want you to understand that some of us mature. We can see this stuff and it doesn't matter. But but a lot of us here, the reason you got all the stuff you got is because somebody put it in in a good light, in, in a light that was higher, something you wanted to achieve and you believe it and you went and bought it. That's why you're wearing the shirt you got on today. Somehow there's some vision or value connected to it. And so I am giving you some real solid advice. And I'm going to be giving some of it throughout here. And I need to, some of it I need to listen to myself. I don't have it. I'm not going on personal life experience and all this. I'm going on, hey, the Bible seems to suggest that the way things are presented could hurt the way you see things. And you know yourself. Some of you don't need to always hang with that group of friends. You know what it does to you. You hang out with them in a nice big house. And I, Okay, be careful here now. I want to be careful. Maybe you shouldn't hang out with certain folk. Maybe you should, but you need to be careful and know what that will do to you. You know, sometimes I hang out with people, go places, and I'm like, dang. Pa, 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 95 Volvo. Lord. Look at them. And I even say stuff to Kelly like, man, I'm 37. And I went to the college campus the other day and every kid has a 95 Volvo. I'm 37 years old. And 17-year-olds driving Volvo station wagons that their parents gave them because their parents have grown up and gotten a grown-up car. 
That stuff affects you. It's hard not to believe the hype. Some of you don't need to listen to some of that music. Some of us don't need to watch some things, videos on TV. You know, it's hard not to believe the hype. The Bible is saying it's hard not to believe when you see it or hear it about it or, or hear about it that richer folk got it and are better or that if you just had that thing or that house or that particular um, pay level or, or, or this kind of setup, you'll be better. And I'm going to tell you, Charlotte is a difficult place to live in for your hearts when it comes to money. I mean, this city sold out to the banking industry. And now the banking industry is going, what we got? Who are we? We historical? Nope. So knocked all them buildings down. Are, are, are we about nonprofits? No, because nonprofits are only supported by tax write-offs of the banking people. This is a city where young people have money and got a lot of money fast. Understand in other cities without bank headquarters, it ain't like that. You don't, you're not 35 years old expecting to make six figures. This is a strange city and it's easy to see people your same age or, or see folk younger riding and nice stuff and rolling up into nice driveways. And, and these are your friends you went to college with or went to high school with and you hang with them and you think, I should be at that level. Automatically, your heart is changed. This is a hard place to live. But now, folk, getting a little humble. It's easy not to get caught up, caught up and enslaved by what you see and then want. And in verse 24, Jesus says this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will take the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, I got a juvenile story to tell you, hopefully to make a better point. I uh, worked in a development office at Covenant Seminary when I was there, and I hated working there Friday afternoons. And the reason I hated working there Friday afternoons is because that was flag football day. I know it sounds corny, y'all. But I despise my job in development because flag football was going on and I had to work. What? You had a job? A good job? And you wanted to play flag football? What's wrong with you? You know, the scripture is basically saying, hey, you can't have two masters. The, the illustration Jesus is putting forward is you have two Bosses, you've got two things. And when you have two things, he says you will despise one. You will hate one. You know, one time I left work early in the middle of a fundraising campaign. I was an intern of a major donor and alumni relations, and I went to play football. I hated it. And my bosses, one of vice president of seminary, rolled up to the football field. And they were looking at me and talking and I thought, what's that? Hello? Throw me the ball. And I hated that they broke in and tried to mess my thing up. Stupid. I hated them. Not them, but I hated the job, man. I felt down by the man on a job I needed to pay my bills. That's the craziness that happens. You know, Jesus is assuming what is true for all of us here. Something really stupid and silly about all of us. He's assuming it will be easier to love money than God. 
the one who created you, the Lord of all. It's easier to love money. Yeah, the stuff that goes away quickly. It's easier to love the flag football of the world than the thing that's really going to give you what you need. Easier to get caught up pursuing and trusting in it. More than, man, like Geico commercial, sometimes you can see your money and your money can see you. You can see the house and the car and you can't always see God and his value. And so we despise, y'all. The anxiety and stress that we believe God, as much as money puts demands that he puts on our hearts about about money and, and right tithing and giving and being accused of being greedy. God gets on our nerves sometimes when we got money because you got that paycheck. I know you want to get that thing. And here comes God. Have you given any away? God, could you just stop? Because when we look at the Bible, you know, the Bible stories or, or look at what the scripture says, God probably, now hear me now, probably could accuse some of us of being greedy if you have a huge amount of savings in a bunch of houses. He might. Because because you're afraid of what will be coming or consumed with the idea of being without. And you probably are greedy and needy if you have a lot of debt or a workaholic trying to, to, to pay for all that you have. But it's probably more than you should have. And there's probably some of you as you look at your bank account and, and you're covered and there ain't enough food in there. You know what God might be saying? You're lazy. You need to go get a job. And some of us are looking at our bank account. You know what God might be saying? The irritating God sometimes. You know what? You too picky what kind of job you want. But God, I want to do this. So what? Go do. It's hard to serve both. God, that job's below me. I need to get this kind of house. I can't work there. You know, and, 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 and let me tell you, and sometimes it's probably is just the injustice and unfairness and your struggle to make ends meet, you know, in, in your job loss or inability to find work. And it is wise to save and it's wise to plan for the future. And it is hard to not have credit in this country and economic systems. And sometimes it is the way things are done, cars and homes and educations and vacations. And let me tell you, the Bible even rewards folk. It talks about saving and being careful with your money and waiting for, you know, preparing for a bad day. And then on top of that, there is theory after theory and books on top of books and the Christian ideas, especially rich evangelical middle class Christianity, that all makes it cloudy. With prosperity gospels, the rich version and the poor version. I can't get into it right now. We ain't got time for that. And to make it more confusing, confusing, let me tell you, Jesus is all over the place on money. He tells one person, some one rich person, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. And you know what it really means? Get rid of all your assets and your ability to make more money. Get this, so that you can follow me. Is what G, what is Jesus saying here? Is this saying we need to give all our money away if we got too much? And then we see him heal people and putting them back into the workforce to make a living. And then he doesn't make the same demands on every person. And his promises to his people in the Old Testament are tied to land and prosperity. He does, he does side with the poor, but not just the poor because he comes along and says poor in spirit, which is not necessarily directly tied to wealth. And for our institution, for a financial confusion and split souls and heart on the matter. 
for our anxiety. Jesus says this, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry. Or another version, be anxious about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body. What you will wear is, is, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single day hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, one of the greatest kings in Israel, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes this grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink and what shall we wear? If you like me when I read this, I'm like, what? What is the deeper message behind this one, right? I mean, come on, Jesus, Mr. Christ, the the one who spoke the world into existence. This is some really troubling prose you're throwing out here. Tighten it up. Give us something to do. Like, give us the steps. Tell Howard Brown exactly what he needs to do to be right. You know, give me some steps for living when it comes to money. I mean, think what Jesus All Jesus can say is don't worry about food and clothes and houses and jobs. What? Don't worry. But I don't, some of you are like, man, I don't know where and whether my next paycheck's coming. And you say, don't worry? I mean, I've gotten myself in over my head and in debt and the economic recession has called my bluff. How can the Lord be saying this when I don't know if I will have enough money to get the clothes for the kids that keep outgrowing them? How can I get a job and afford childcare? How can I not worry about my lifelong investment or my family money that has been passed down from, from investment to invest, investment? I went to school all of these years and can't pay it back. I was called to work for the bank and now my job security is no longer secure. My wife and I fight on and off about money. All cause of my money. And no money. I am worried. We are worried. Some of us that we are not pleasing to God. Some of us worry about granite or no granite. And what it says about my faith in God and my friends. Is it too much? And what it might say in my relationship with the Lord? Am I working hard enough for my family? Or too much for my family? I am not tithing right now. Am I too afraid? And I hate not being able to give more? I'm not mature trusting you, Lord. I'm struggling with all of these things. And you ask me why I'm stressed. And then say, don't worry. And the answer Jesus gives us takes us back to the verses of eyes and hearts. And actually calls the anxiety and worries of, of, actually seeks to heal the anxiety of worries and money by saying, take those same eyes and focus that's on your money and look at nature for a minute. Don't look at your money. Look at the birds and the flowers for a minute. They die in the winter, the flowers, and they come back in the spring. And the birds have to fly south for the hard winter, losing their homes. But when they come back, God gives them some place to live. And what we should see, he tells us, God takes care of them. 
What is it saying? God has the power and providence and insight and care to not let them stop existing or being regardless of the uncertainties of their fall and winter hardships. He is the Lord and Savior. And it tells us that he will care for us in our stuff. And I want to emphasize stuff first. He will care for our stuff and the stuff we need to make it like clothes and housing and food. Look with me at verse 27. Real quick, who of you by warring can add a single hour to his life? And then verse 32, for the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. The scripture is saying God is not a gambler. He's not closing his eyes on your behalf. He's not playing your financial card hoping that it works out. He's not hoping that somehow, you know, the president gets it right. Or that Congress passed the right thing. Oh, God's up there so worried about how he's going to care for you. He's not playing poker. He is the Lord. You don't know when to hold or fold or walk away, but he does. And unlike our worrying and stressing, he can actually do something about it. And the right thing about it. Jesus is like, look, can't you see the stuff God takes care of? And some of you are like, it will take an act of God to get these bills paid. It's going to take an act of God to get me a job and to get my kids money for college and for me to have some place to live. Well, here's the question, okay? When has it not been an act of God for anything you've had? The scripture is saying it's never not been God in anything you've had. So don't start worrying about what you have and what you don't have. But there's a second half of this. Look with me again at verse 26. Look at the birds over there. They, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now here's the point here. Are you not much more valuable than they? And then it says here in verse 32, for the pagans run after these things. They work hard to get these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. You are more valuable to God than anything else in his creation. His people. The pagan term would also imply this. If you belong to Jesus, if if you're God's child, you're not a stranger or an orphan. You are his To take care of and watch over. This thing is not about stuff and money. God is going to take care of the stuff you value only because he values you. The stuff you love because he loves you. You see, Jesus is is making another play on words when it comes to things and values and investments and securities and keeping. Do you know what God values, where his eyes are, where his heart is, while yours and mine are divided on everything else and worried about our money? His heart and eyes are on you. He is saying he wants to invest in you and grow you and change you in ways no thief or robber or dust or moth or financial situation, rich or poor, could ever bother. Financial freedom, Christ way. Look with me at verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. And it means this. 
that if we seek God's help, his kingdom, his power to change and help our finances, yes, and his righteousness, to have the right heart, to have a healed heart in this area, that he will give it to us. The hardest script, hardest pieces of scripture are actually believing if you ask God for help, that he'll help you. Why is that so hard for us? You know, see, here's what Jesus is teaching us about financial freedom. Because so many of us have it wrong. Financial freedom is not about being able to get and be what you want but about God providing and giving what you can't. His power and knowledge in uncertain times, his righteousness for the uncertainty and anxiety in our hearts. Jesus saying you and I are free to bring our confused hearts and decisions to him for forgiveness and directions and guidance. It means we can trust him to deal with and encourage his church to take action in issues of hoarding and debt and materialism and poverty and financial injustices. The lesson of the recession is not that we did not save enough or didn't know enough, but that we were not free. We were so bound up to secure all we could get, so hungry, so starving, so orphan acting for worth that we got greedy and that we had no depth beyond what we could attain and secure and have and save and get now and quickly and cheaply. Our lack of belief and freedom that we have have an immovable and fatherly God now has us caught in anxiety and worry. Seeking first his kingdom is righteous means that you're free to offer your money and hearts to God. We've had crown ministries here. Just give you a few applications and then we're going to close. We've had crown ministries here. The class that helps you understand finances. We have people who can give you financial help and budgeting. We're not telling, this is freedom to go to those things for help. Because you want to know what God wants you to do. That we are free to worship in and with our money and say, Lord, see it. Look at it. Fix it. Fix me. Here, take my need. Take my lack. Take my surplus for your purposes. And in your power and care for it, make me and it and me do what it should be doing. I want to be free from my inability to know and my ability to get it wrong in my heart and from my inability to change myself and my financial situation. I mean, for some of us, it may just be a conscious effort of taking our paycheck. Just an example. You don't have to do it. Some of us need to just take our money or print out that statement we get our check. Sit down together as a family or by yourself or with a friend or something and actually say, Lord, this is yours. Help me know what to do with it. I'm not, guys, prayer works. It works to seek for his kingdom. You know, sometimes we need to sit down as a family when times are hard. Bring the kids around. Say, kids, we need the Lord to provide. You see this paycheck? Look like a lot of numbers. But you see these bills? Bigger numbers. Kids, we're going to pray together and we're going to ask God to help us. 
This is a family training moment. Some of us, we need to look at our savings and we need to look at our homes and we need to say, what purpose in the kingdom do these serve? And if we don't have an answer, we need to say, Lord, help us understand what to do with what we have. Some of us need, you know, I I, I had this idea of financial triads or accountability groups. Now, I ain't in one. I probably need to be in one. Where you sit down with other people now. This is crazy. Crazy. But this is kingdom freedom. Hey, get a group of friends. And for a few months, track each other's spending. Some of us need that help. So your friends can say, but I thought the goal you had was to save at least $50 a month. But Howard, you went and bought so many DVDs and have so many late fees. Look, the $50 is gone. Brother, that ain't right. What's wrong with you? Not your money. What house do I need to pray for you? You so needing entertainment and to be, you know, oversensitized, whatever. You got to always have some entertainment. What's wrong with you, man? Why you got to have 300 channels? What's wrong with you? Closing here, but we, this is impossible unless the Christ of Christianity takes us there. Dude, looking at your money, asking for help is death if Jesus is not your Lord and leads you to the life it can bring. We need Jesus, financial counselor, financial savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. You're freeing us in our finances. Some of us don't have nothing, a little or nothing. Help us to look at it and even cry out for help to our church, to our friends, to our family. Some of us have too much, Lord, and we can't follow you. We can't trust you because we trust our stuff. Help us, Lord, because something is wrong in us. And what you're promising is to fix it, to give us a righteous, a holy heart for you. Do this in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. All right. Long service. Okay. Can we get...